If you could have a conversation with anyone in history, what would you ask them? Hello, General Washington. Good day, Miss Tubman. I had to know, so I decided let's give them a call. Welcome, Welcome to the, the Calling, Calling History, history Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back to part two of Jefferson Davis. In this episode, you'll hear more about the slave buying process and how the Fugitive Slave Act was enforced and where those enforcers came from. It's not pretty. When you were saying you were giving an example that if that if his pappy was a carpenter, he might be on the block for 1200 but he might sell for 2100 if the, if he's a really solid carpenter. And a field hand with a bunch of whippings on his back might be a lot less. What would be the hierarchy of that? A carpenter's well, very the, the best job to have is in the house. I should have finished, which I didn't. <clears throat> now there's a young lady that's about 25 years old. Her mother taught her to be a seamstress. Now she comes up on the block, and the starting bid on her is about 1500 mm. You say, wait a minute, that's $300 more. Yeah. Okay, why? She's a woman. What can women do? Have children. Have babies. Cool. That's right. You have to pay for that slave when she has it? Oh, I'm not thinking of white men having them. You're talking about breeding new slaves. That's right. Oh, jeez, I just... See, I, she, now, I just, it depends on the master. I would just say whoever fell in love could get married on my plantation. Some would say, Buck, you over here, you're with her. Tell them what to do. But you Never gave did them that. See, my slaves were allowed to have a trial. And a lot of times they would punish a slave far more than I'd ever do because I never took a whip to any of my slaved people. You never whipped a slave, ever? Never whipped a slave, and neither did Joseph. Why not? I just told you why. My father never whipped me as a child. Why should I whip them? That makes sense. A lot of people think they were like children. But then I'm trying to tell you that depends on how they were treated and what you taught them. I get it. Wow. See, okay. if you don't teach anybody anything, what are they going to turn out? Not, Even a dog. You can train a dog to sit and listen to you when you call it. If you never train a dog at all, it's wild. doesn't trust you. You're absolutely right when you say that people from the North, people that wouldn't understand this, would make the assumption that everybody in the South is treating their slaves poorly and beating them and whipping them. But my question to you is this. What if the North, when they really started pushing for slavery not to exist, what if they had stepped down? And instead, what if they had decided to crack down really hard on abusing slaves? So you could have them, but you couldn't abuse them. And there was some method, maybe even a regulator that went around to make sure that people weren't abusing them or raping them or, you know, or, or starving them but they were treated more fairly. Do you think that maybe that the Civil War would have been avoided? No. There's no way to regulate anything. Was, you said most areas in the South are run by a sheriff. Policing in cities won't even really begin until the probably 1850s. There were police in uh, Washington City when we were there, constables on patrol, but there's no way to regulate that. The thing with it is, most people don't understand that as a plantation owner, you have money invested in your slaves, your house, its furnishings, your barn, all your implements, 
your livestock, and your land. Which one of those areas do you think most of your money was tied up in? I would guess the land. No, absolutely not. What? The slaves. It's definitely the slaves, huh? It's definitely the slaves. Now, you have this strong meddling federal government, and you have two groups, one in the north, one in the south, agitating people all the time. The group in the north is called the abolitionists, saying free these, free these, free these, free these slaves in one day. And you know what? If we freed all our slaves, 4 million of them, with a population of 11 million in the south, they'd all have a job on Monday and a place to live, wouldn't they? Uh, no, they would not. No, they would not. That, that would but, have been a but mess. See, you never deal with people that think like that. Now, in the South, you had the fire eaters. Withdraw from the Union. We don't need them. But we did need them. I remember one time suggesting to Joseph we mill our own cotton, and I never believed what he looked at me. We don't do that. Who mills the cotton? The slaves. The North. No, the North. The what? What does mill mean? Mill the cotton to make it into thread and material. Oh, okay. It was North. So who's benefiting from slavery? The North. And a lot of people, even at the North, didn't want them running around in the streets. You've heard of the draft riots in in New York City, didn't you? Tell me about them. Tell me about them. Well, who was going to get drafted? And then the Confederacy started the draft first. And see, with the Emancipation Proclamation changing the course of the war from saving the Union to abolishing slavery, a lot of these white soldiers were not going to be drafted, especially the Irish. So you have the draft riots right after the Battle of Gettysburg in the middle of July. People were fed up with the they war, weren't, weren't they? Going to, they were not going to fight the free, the black man. So a lot of them in New York City that were free were hanged. <laughs> Jeez. What a messy time. You understand where I'm coming from? I do, yeah. Let me step back for a second. There's there's one question I want to follow up on with something. When, I know them keep asking about how much a slave would sell for. But when you were talking about the prices of how much each person would sell for, it appears to me that if you're at the block and you're trying to purchase a slave, there certainly would be people that would lie all the time and say, oh, this person's a skilled carpenter and he can build houses and... You know, he does everything. No, no, they had paperwork that came with them. Oh, but the pa- they couldn't yeah. also buy paperwork? First of all, before the auction, you'd go around and look. A lot of them would be chained up, and, and you'd talk to them. You, uh, you could uh, inspect their teeth, look at their back, look how they're dressed, find out if they're coming from an estate and why they're selling them. Because you ever heard the term overage? No. Probably not. Overage is when you have... Say you had a bad crop one year, and the only way you're going to make it out of there money-wise to buy more seed for next year is to sell some of your slaves you don't need. So that would be somebody over 40 that's aging. Might be somebody under 8 that doesn't do anything. You still have to take care of them, clothe them, feed them, provide housing for them. So that's how families got separated. Now, Joseph and I never, ever would separate a family. Oh. He even heard George Washington wouldn't do so either. Overage is getting those that don't have value in the moment? Yeah, I mean, that's how families got separated. So you'd have paperwork that you would go look at, and you would talk to them, and you could tell right away if somebody was a carpenter. You might say things, how many times you measure before you cut? <laughs> you would ask them test questions. Well, sure you would. You'd ask them stuff. 
Wow. Now, I don't know if you knew this, <laughs> but, I mean, you can tell Carpenter right away if they say something like, um, you measure twice and cut once. Yeah. Gosh. You know, and uh, what kind of wood makes this kind of cherry does this, pine does this. Now, what kind of floors do you think they put on the slave, quart- the slave quarters? I don't know. I have no clue. Pine. See, all different woods have different walnut. They all have different, I mean, there's some boards you can't cut at all. A carpenter would know all that. That makes sense. What would you, you do? Know, with you can old- talk to them, and they're not going to lie to you. They, the thing of it is, they know they're worth more. And then the field hand, you might not be able to get any kind of legible answer out of them about anything. Because they don't speak English well. No. Wow. You said over 40 and under 8. Again, I'm just thinking as a... What a did business. we do with them? They just, yeah, what do you, we just didn't work them as hard, and we left them in a cabin, and they'd end up dying. And when, a slave, when an older slave would die, since you kept the family together, was there a funeral? Well, sure there was. Okay. He'd light the candles up and... And sing songs, and in fact, a lot of the slaves, when they were out working, would sing to keep everybody in tempo. I didn't tell you this story. One day, I came home from the uh, Wilkinson Academy, and the teacher was trying to make me learn something I didn't think I needed to, to know. I said, I don't want to go back to school anymore. And my father says, Okay. Well, he, he so he put me out with the slaves picking cotton from sun up to about sundown. Whoa! Guess what I did the next day? Went to school. I went back to school. Oh, my gosh. All right, how- and my father never whipped me. He'd give me stern looks. But the way I was raised is my father never whipped me. But let's, let's put it this way. If he asked me to do something and uh, I didn't start to do it right away, by him merely approaching me meant something, which means I better move. And I did. You understand he, what I'm saying? I do. Was he a good man? He was a very good man. He he died July 4th, 1824, before I went to uh, West Point. And I was late to go to West Point. Supposed to be there in July, but due to my father's death and, and so forth. What would what would his, How would he have felt about secession? I'm not sure. You know, I did a lot of studying of my namesake, Thomas Jefferson. And according to Jefferson, it's the same thing that I believe. I told you I was a reluctant secessionist. Mm-hmm. Once you are able to be a unified country, in other words, was when they formed those 13 colonies and wrote the Constitution, did that mean that the states were permanent? The Articles in Confederation, it was a loosely, you know, that's why they formed the they, they wrote the Constitution because the, there was no strong central government. The states did everything. It was like they were 13 fledgling countries. Right. And I learned that at West Point. I learned that in my classes that I took at Transylvania University. But if it came down to any part of the government that wasn't doing what they were supposed to do, even Lincoln said this, you should be able to withdraw. Lincoln said that? Sure he did. Look it up. I will. He was I mean, I believe him, but I will. But years. I, I guess, I guess it makes sense. If you're not satisfied with the present government, change it. Let me go back for a minute. So we were talking about your, your father. Let's talk about some different fathers, the founding fathers for a minute. 
When the Founding Fathers were trying to pull the Union together so that they could fight as one unit, as, as we were just talking about for the Revolutionary War, which was the only chance they had to succeed, they knew when they were writing those important documents that slavery was an issue. And I'm sure you know this. You're an educated man. But they tabled that discussion for a later date. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to pull the union together. Well, maybe you don't realize this. Of the 13 states, with Delaware being the last to sign, I believe, or is it Rhode Island, every single one of those 13 colonies to become states that were states for the Constitution had slaves. I didn't realize that everyone had them. It, it certainly makes sure, sense. They, it might be totally different in Massachusetts because you got to remember that if you come over from England to the colonies, you would sign a contract, you would become an indentured, indentured servant, and after seven years, you weren't an indentured servant anymore. Oh, I see. In fact, um, Ben Franklin signed a contract with his older brother James to work in his print shop. It's term slavery. Eventually ran away because uh, the way his brother, older brother treated him. That's why he ran away. That's why he had to run away from his brother, because he mm -hmm. was an indentured servant. That's right. So my question was, the Founding Fathers knew this was an issue. They knew it was going to have to be dealt with. But you're the one that had to deal with it. I mean, when it finally... Well, that yes, they put it off. In fact, they even put off the slave trade for 20 years, right? Yeah. 1788 to 1808 is 20 years where you could not import slaves anymore. They wanted another generation to deal with it. Because the, the, time, the time never seemed right. No. In fact, my mother, I remember mumbling about the election of 1800. You know, I was younger when she started reminiscing about it. John Adams ran against Thomas Jefferson, and there were rumors that Thomas Jefferson was sleeping with one of his slaves. Do you believe it? And that was really a strongly contested election in 1800, and it took quite a few years for uh, Jefferson and Adams to become friends again. Gosh, that's amazing. I might be recalling that wrong, but you can... You no, can, I, think uh, you, I think your memory is, is just fine. I think your memory is fine. Thru so throughout? the thing of it is, yeah, I grew up with it in Kentucky. And we moved to Louisiana for a year before we moved to Mississippi. My father taught us to treat everyone, everyone with respect, especially our horses. I've seen men inebriated would kick a horse in the chest and kill it or take a stick to its leg and break his leg. You know, it's, it's like there are some men that don't know how to treat people. But that's the way it was kind of explained to me that... They were inferior to us. And if you're brought up to believe that, and that's the only way you think, that's how you're going to be. Your mother tells you that, what are you going to think? Yeah, you're not going to argue with mom. People don't even want to talk about that. No, I understand. When you were in the, like, right in the middle of the political sphere, it appears that you were always fighting for states to have rights. It's interesting that you definitely understand the importance to unite in, in the case of a war. I suppose there's a lot of circumstances like that. But you definitely were fighting for states' rights. My understanding is as the years would pass and the United States was expanding, that the federal government was trying to say, okay, we're going to expand west and this is a new territory. But in that new territory, 
it's going to be a no-slave territory. Is that how it went down? Yes and no. It's, it's a little more complicated than that. Are you familiar with the Missouri Compromise? Yes, a little bit, but go, explain. Well, what happened is the Missouri Compromise, I was too young to really remember when it happened and, uh, until the Compromise of 1850. The Missouri Compromise basically said that each state would come in as twos. They set up a line that said above this line, states cannot have slavery. Below this line, they can. Well, then by 1850, you have 15 slave states that we never, ever go past that 15, which we didn't have 15 slave states fight for the South. Remember that number. And you've had 15 free states. Now, California wants to come into the Union, not as North and South California, but the way, way it is, which would mess with the Missouri Compromise. So then there was no southern state to come in. Now, there was the uh, New Mexico Territory that supposedly would become a slave state. But before you can become a slave state, guess what you have to have? you got to have a free state. Well, we would with California. Okay. So we we have had to have slaves there. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. There weren't any slaves in New Mexico. It was too hot. <laughs> and it wasn't even good land. To farm. The farm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. So, so basically, we allowed, we allowed California to come in, which would mean the count would be 16, 15 states. And that'd be 31 states, correct? <laughs> yep. And they gave us another fugitive slave law, which said slave owners had a right to come up north and retake their slave. And if you were harboring a slave, that was a criminal offense. You could be arrested. And so slave catchers started going up north. Now, the problem is a lot of these people didn't know what their slave looked like. So sometimes they would grab a free man oh. and take him down south. Now, that became a big problem, north and south. They just grabbed the first black man they saw. Well, sure. Why not? It's wow. worth so much money. That's it. Now, now, I want you to think about something. As a slave owner, you're very wealthy. Most men have jobs that they work year-round. Who are you going to find to be the slave captures? You're going to go into the tavern and find the drifter that wants to make some quick money to go up north to capture your slave. Now, I didn't have that problem because I didn't have my slaves run off. Right. But slaves ran off that were near the border. Like is easier for a Kentucky slave to, to escape than it would be for Mississippi. For sure. You ever heard the term "sold down the river"? Yes. Well, where do you think that came from? See, some I, of these ones that ran off in uh, Virginia, they'd send them south of Mississippi and Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas. Oh. And guess what? They wouldn't run off anymore because you they, know what Mississippi was like: a lot yeah. of swamps. Same with I, South Carolina. So they were termed sold down the river. So if you had a trouble slave, it made sense to sell them further south, which made it harder or impossible for them to run. Jeez, mm -hmm. that is amazing. So you were absolutely for state, states' rights. And yes, I was. The state yeah. ought to have the right. Are you aware of what happened in um, 1832 with the nullification crisis with Andrew Jackson? Tell me, please. 
Well, South Carolina wanted to nullify a, a federal law that affected them as a state, and uh, they threatened to secede. Now, John C. Calhoun, who died in 1850, who I met, and my wife loved him, he was a very much a spokesman for the South. And Jackson, he was Jackson's first vice president. He said, I'll come down there with an army himself if you try to secede, so they backed way down. But they talked about secession. They used to have secession conferences all over the South prior to the secession crisis. Do you know how many of those I attended? Zero? None. Didn't believe in it. I get it. You got to remember, no. I, I fought for the United States Army in the war with Mexico. I was a United <laughs> States Senator, United States House of Representatives, Secretary of War. Do you think I wanted to have our nation secede and fall apart? In fact, the North just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. The abolitionists kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And war came. And, you know, a lot of these Southerners that were wealthy, you know, the ones we elected, they didn't think there'd be a war at all. Some of those real radical men like Yancey, they never nominated him to be provisional president. Mr. Davis, it's clear that you... nominated me. I'm a moderate. Yeah, it's clear that you were, although it, it seems that you definitely are not a big fan of authority, from what I'm hearing, it doesn't seem like you were trying to break up the union, and I'm trying to figure out why it makes sense for you to be the president then, because I think you would have ha- rather had the union be together strong than what happened. Well, they nominated me as a moderate because what kind of experience did I have? Get all of it. Government experience. House yeah. President. Now, this is a side note, but in my opinion, a legislator is not as good a president as a man that has been governor. Hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, because of the because they they were in the executive branch. Yeah. So I had all that experience being even Secretary of War. Plus, I had soldier experience. In fact, I went to the field at Manassas. I'm not sure you're even aware of that. But Johnson and Beauregard, they just wondered if they were going to have to uh, answer to me when I saw a bunch of soldiers running at Manassas. So there was only one president that I know of that went to the field as president, as commander-in-chief of the uniform. You know who that was? I'm going to guess you. No, George Washington. Oh, yeah, Washington, of course. Washington and the Whiskey Rebellion. I don't know if you realize this. Washington was my hero. Is that right? I patterned myself as much as, oh, yes. He um, evidently threw a half dollar across the Rampahannock River, and I tried it and only made it halfway, so... (laughs) That that book by uh, Mason Weems, The Life of Washington, you know, Mason was a Paulson. Mason, I think, made up a bunch of those stories. But Washington, his statue is right in front of the Capitol building in Richmond. Did you know that? I had to walk by it every day. I, I didn't know and, that he was a hero uh, of yours. Oh, very much a hero. Uh, I could tell you all kinds of stuff that I just absolutely, you know, the thing of it is that uh, Trenton, you know, he told uh, his uh, staff that they were going to, which nobody does that in the winter. Remember I said they camp? Right. He said, we are going to attack Trenton with those Hessians on Christmas night. He knew what they were doing on Christmas Eve. Nope, nope, nope. Yep, they were drinking. And they'd be inebriated, and uh, they went down there and took Trenton and uh, went on to Princeton and won two battles in a row. And uh, I said to myself, Washington never gave up. Oh, boy, you are not kidding. But he also didn't take on an army like Robert E. Lee did. Lee and Jackson would win quite a few battles being really outnumbered. 
as much as I love Robert E. Lee as a general, bless his heart, that he died a while back, he lost a lot of men for us. Do you think that was necessary, though? Grant no, no. See, that. he started out as my military advisor mm-hmm. until Johnson got wounded at the seven days. And uh, in June of uh, 62, he took over being the general of the Army in Northern Virginia. And when I first started out as president, I just wanted a defensive war. Let him come down here and make us come back in the Union. And Lee said, we have to attack. We have to attack. And I, anything that Lee said from then on, I'd somewhat agreed with him. Anybody else, I would have uh, said no. But I had so much respect for Lee. He graduated a year after me, second in his class with no demerits. Was he right? Well, at the time, I thought he was right. <laughs> well, now you've had some time to reflect. Did he do the well, best? Well, you know, when you go back and re- when you go back and reflect, there's times that you say, "I wish I wouldn't have said that and done that." What You're comes not, to mind for me? Yeah. Oh, I got into it. Joe Johnston, Beauregard. See, they all wanted to be top general. You know, they, we I ranked them. And I don't know if you know, even know who my number one general was. I assumed it was Lee. Who was it? No, Samuel Cooper. He was adjutant general in the U.S. Army and just moved over to the Confederate Army. Huh. And see, Robert E. Lee didn't even join us until, um, see, the Confederacy basically started in February. I was inaugurated February 18th. Virginia wouldn't secede until April 18th. He didn't even join us until almost the end of April of 61, but he was number two. Number three was Albert Sidney Johnston, and then number four was um, Joe Johnston, and number five was Beauregard. What was the moment that you knew that the war was lost? I never want to admit it. Joe Johnston, when we went down to Durham, North Carolina, came through, and I met with Johnston, and uh, he said, the war is over. I said, no, we could do this. He said, the war is over. I don't know if you realize that even when Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox, Mm -hmm. probably one-third of the Army left before they even were paroled. Just went home, left their units. Because they were starving? Sure, they were starving. They knew the war was lost. Yeah. You guys fought to the bitter end, didn't you? Yeah, I fought to the bitter end and uh, would never admit it. Even years later, as I'm working on this book, I got a, a woman that's doing a really good job of writing. You know, I'm dictating it. It started out as Sarah Dorsey, and that really upset Verena. Now it's Verena. She helps me recall stuff. But the thing that is, I keep defending the right of secession. That's what the whole book is basically about, defending the right of secession. And the day I die, I will say secession was legal at that time. For you, the South wanted to secede, and they had the right, and that is what you were fighting for. Is that correct? Yes. Independence. Just like America did from Britain. Right. Exactly like that. Yeah, you know, okay, let me let me ask you something very specific about this. In, in our time, slavery doesn't exist legally. It just doesn't. And we've had a black president. It is very clear that what? as I know <laughs> I thought you might be surprised to hear that. And he did a good he did a pretty good job. A lot of people would say. Oh like my. Any, like any president, you know, nobody like have been really educated. He was. And as you he were probably saying, probably wasn't from the south either. <laughs> well, as you were saying, it all depends on how a person is treated and their 
income level and their education level and what they learn from their parents. And I keep trying to figure out, slavery doesn't make sense to me. Again, I'm from a different time, but I keep trying to figure out how it makes sense to you, and I think I've figured it out. I don't think, from talking to you, that I don't think that you would be for slavery if the experience that you had with it was what we hear about. All of the abuse and all the whippings and people hanging people and people killing people. You grew up treating people like people. Whether, at least this is what it seems like. Whether they were slaves or whether they were, whether they were not slaves. And I, I just wonder if you had seen or maybe even grown up around the darker side of that. Maybe your father was the guy that beat and killed slaves regularly. If you would have had a different view on that. Because I think that you are a person that understands decency and, and fairness. Does that make sense at all what I'm saying? Could you have possibly well, seen Well, I did. Side? I didn't witness whippings, but I did go to auctions and see the way they were thrown into the pens. Like, I felt so sorry for people because they'd have a chamber pot in a corner and you had to go and pull down your trousers or lift up your dress and go. And they were treated with such disrespect. And as soon as they were balting, if we had any that were poorly clothed, we made sure they did see it. And, but it really came down to one word as I grew up, equality. I mean, I, Verena tells me that women should have more say in the world and they should even vote. And I just looked at her like, what do women know? In most households, men are the one being educated, not women. But she was highly educated, and looking back, it's just it's like it was just that, that it was a way of life. And and uh, I don't know if you ever heard, I never heard him because he died, and I never met him before he died. He died July 4th, 1826. My namesake, Thomas Jefferson, said slavery is like grabbing a whoop by the ears. If you hang on, you got a problem. If you let go, you got a problem. So true. Well, now you're much older, and you have a, a better view of the, the whole battlefield from a distance. Are you glad that you fought the war? I will say I will never, ever surrender to the thought that we had a just cause. The Union, as the way it was, was not following the Constitution. To me, the Constitution was a pro-slavery document when it was written, and the agitators such as the abolitionists caused so many problems along with the fire eaters from the South. And, you know, it, a lot of people didn't think it'd come to a war. In fact, even from what I've read, Lincoln's cabinet almost said, let them go. Is that right? You know? Yeah. I mean, Lincoln said, no, not letting them go. Lincoln was a lawyer. You think Lincoln was a good man? Uh, I had a man ask me one time that if I did, I absolutely hate him and thought he was burning in hell. And I looked at him and I said, I don't believe I would have spent two years at Fort Monroe if he would have lived. You think he would have treated my, you better? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The spies and the uh, executive mansion said that Lincoln said he hoped he got away. He, I guess he gave me a nickname. <laughs> what was it? The other fella. <laughs> I wonder what that other fellow's doing right now. <laughs> oh, Jesus! So I had I had nothing. I I was when I first heard he was assassinated. I thought now we have a chance. And then I thought, oh no, Johnson is president, and Johnson never liked me. Oh, it's going to be terrible. 
even then, after Appomattox had already happened, even then, after he was assassinated, you were still thinking we have a chance right there? Weren't you on the run at that point? Well, sure. We didn't have to defend the capital anymore. You know how many soldiers it takes to defend your capital? They were all free. Why? Uh, let's put it this way. Did Washington ever give up? <laughs> there you go. That's it. I mean, uh, let's go back to 1780. He was pretty well cornered, and all of a sudden he found out news that Cornwallis was on a peninsula. That means water sighted three out of four spots, mm -hmm. right? The French Navy came together. Boom. They couldn't escape. So whoever thought on April 19, 1775, that that young fledging colonies, and see how they stuck together as 13 colonies? Now, the Canadian colonies could have went with us. They never did. They stuck together, and I think it was somebody like Washington that kept them together. I don't think if he'd had George Washington, we would have never won that revolution. Oh, there's and, no question. Uh, Yorktown, October 19th, never forget it. Wasn't there, but I heard about it. My, I don't know if you know this, my father was in the Georgia Cavalry, and my three older brothers fought in the War of 1812. Everybody so we in your fighting somewhere. Yes. Very patriotic. The nation calls upon you to serve. That's what you do. As a senator or a representative, House, House of Representatives, or even state government, I served. I never regret it because I think we had a just cause, and too bad it took a Supreme Court. And that same Chief Justice wrote that majority opinion in 1869 who said, we don't want to try these men. They might win. That's incredible. This time that we've spent together, I don't know if it's been fast for you, but it has gone by so fast for me. And I just want to thank you for all this time. I, I appreciate you so much. And I, I just have such a better understanding of the kind of person that you are. And I, I've really enjoyed this. There's just a couple things that I want to ask you quickly, and then I'll, uh, I'll let you back to Beauvoir, because I'm sure that, that is a very nice place. When I was asking you earlier about how you, you were standing up for states' rights. It comes down to this. Should the citizens of every community or state have the right to govern yourselves in domestic matters as they please? You know what I'm saying? Yep. Should the local town, say, for instance, they had a, a statue of King George III up, and the town council or the uh, legislature said King George III should be pulled down and melted into bullets, should they have as a local district be able to make that decision i think so but then what happens is i never believe majority ever should rule why i think what happens when you have a bad majority yeah that's true that's the problem when you have that's a bad majority you got a problem that is that's the problem with all of this human nature it is so hard to always get it right because sometimes you got a good group of people and sometimes you got a bad group of people. Listen, I, I'm going to ask you one more question, and I'm so thankful for your time. Uh, when, you're, when your uh, book comes out, what are we going to learn about you that, that we don't know now? Uh, I try not to talk about myself too much. I, I'm basically trying to defend decision. I had some friends start to read it, and I heard the term repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. In other words, I'd write three pages, and then I'd come back to secession again, write three more pages, <laughs> go on to something else, come back eight pages later and start discussing secession again. It all comes back Whether to independence. Or not it was legal. It comes down to we wanted 
to secede and form our own country. If you'd Go been ahead. alive during George Washington's time, you would have been right there fighting for independence, just like you were in your time. That's exactly right. Yeah, that makes sense. Mr. Davison, well, I got one more. I got one more comment I want to make. Yeah, please. Robert E. Lee married Mary Custis, whose father was George Washington Park Custis, who was four months old when his father, John Park Custis, died of a camp fever after the Battle of Yorktown. Now, his mother was Martha Dandridge Custis Washington. His stepfather was George Washington. Montgomery Meigs, a classmate of Lee, decided to plant dead soldiers in Lee's garden where they confiscated the property, and that was very upsetting to me. Wow. They should do this. And what I heard later that uh, they developed into a, a big cemetery for soldiers. So Jeez. anyway, that's my final thought. Uh, wow. uh, we've got to get past all this bitterness. I think there'll always be people arguing, but the union is still strong, despite some, some big yes, challenges. And I just appreciate who you are, because I'm leaving this call understanding that we all have disagreements, but ultimately I think the thing that you stand for is independence, and there's something good about that. And so I, I thank you so much for your time today. Okay, I appreciate it. Jefferson Davis didn't want to secede. He didn't want to fight a war or build a new government. He wanted the same thing George Washington wanted in the American Revolution. He wanted independence. Although he's been labeled a slaver and a traitor, and rightfully so, if he had been born in the North and raised with anti-slavery beliefs, he probably would have been fighting for independence for those that were enslaved. If he'd been born around the time of the American Revolution, he probably would have been a hero fighting along George Washington and Alexander Hamilton and the rest of the Founding Fathers. His cry would have not been to enslave, it would have been for independence. I know this is hard to imagine, but the greatest American hero of all time was George Washington. And he was a traitor, a slaver, and a secessionist. If Davis had been born in a different time or won the war, he probably would have been a hero too. Remember, history has always been written by the winners. Thanks for listening, and don't forget that when you subscribe and tell a friend about the Calling History podcast, you're making it possible for us to create more content. I'm Tony Dean, and until next time, I'm History.